All right, so let's get into this. So we're busy with this series, To Live is Christ, and we're going through the book of Philippians, and this morning we're in chapter 3, verse 17, and we're going to the first verse of chapter 4. So open up your Bibles there with me. Uh, So Philippians chapter 3, from verse 17. We're almost finished, and after this we're going to do a series called Truths That Transform. And we're going to look at some of the key doctrines or beliefs of the Christian faith that we think radically will transform people. So we love just going through books of the Bible and some of them pop out. We want to pick some doctrines and look at what all of the Bible have to say about them and hopefully uh, be transformed by God's word as we do that. All right, so Philippians chapter 3 from verse 17. And I'm reading from the ESV. It'll be up on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. Here we go. Brothers and sisters, you know, this is Bible language for, hey, guys, you know, which means everyone. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, My joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it says here of you that you have the power that enables you to subject all things to yourself. What a powerful God you are. And earlier in the book, we saw that one day when you return, that power will be made manifest and you will do this very thing that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Lord, how do we prepare ourselves for that day? Well, I think part of this passage is, is telling us that. So help us to listen, that we might be ready to face the most powerful being in the universe one day, which is you, Jesus, and do so with confidence, without fear, and with a deep joy as we stand before you one day. So speak to us now, Lord, as your beloved, just as Paul addresses these people as his beloved, those who he takes joy in, who is his crown, we know that that is who we are to you. Speak to us now and address us through your word, we pray, for your glory and our good. Amen. Oscar Allen. Have you heard of Oscar Allen? Uh, If you've been watching AFL, you probably would have, especially if you've watched one of the most frustrating teams of the 2021 AFL season. I'm talking of my beloved West Coast Eagles, of course, who Oscar Allen plays for. Now, Allen, here he is. Um, He's 22 years old, and he's just recently signed a contract extension with the Eagles. And this was after many clubs were kind of circling him and offering him lots and lots of money, up to $850,000 a year. And the Eagles would not have offered him this. Like, I think they've got too many good players that they probably have to try and pay. So why did he stay? 
Surely, you know, you'd go after the money. Well, the reality is he wants to keep learning from the more experienced players in his position. He's got these two other guys, Josh Kennedy and Jack Darling, who are premiership players and among the best forwards in the competition. And so for Alan, he wants to imitate these men before one day, hopefully, his career reaches this glorious point that these men's careers reached in 2018 when they won the premiership. Now, why do I start like this? Well, the main picture in our passage, as you probably picked up on, is the idea of imitating others, right? We see this in verse 17, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And it's also put another way, he says, walk according to the example you have in us. And if we follow the example of the right people, sure and certain glory awaits us. Something that not even the eagles can guarantee Oscar Allen. But I haven't titled this sermon, Imitating the Right People. Instead, I've titled it, Standing Firm in the Lord. That's what we see in verse 1. Did you notice that? Chapter 4, verse 1, he finishes like this. Paul says, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now our passage, and this is a bit tricky, actually wraps up all of chapter 3. The whole of chapter 3. Now Paul's given us his own testimony throughout. In in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, he shared how he counted everything as loss, or the word is actually poo, or rubbish, as as the Bible translates it. Why did he do that? So that he might gain the righteousness of Christ. And then the next bit, which we looked at last week, he shared how he now lives daily in pursuit of the resurrection of Christ as he strives and strains ahead in being the man that God wants him to be. Now in our passage, Paul says, imitate me and others who do the same, others who want the righteousness of God and who want the resurrection the resurrection of Christ. And so if you seek what Paul sought and, and you imitate others who do the same, he says, you will stand firm until the end. Okay? Now, now how will you remain steadfast till the end? Well, the reality is this is part three of, um, of, this, of this kind of chapter. So you kind of have to go listen to the other sermons, maybe all in one hit if you've got time. So if you're a young parent, you probably don't. Um, you'll do it over three months. But anyway, so this is part three. So the, the reality is what you have to do is you have to have faith in Jesus to gain his right standing before God. And throughout life, you need to die to yourself that you may experience new life in Jesus and the final resurrection call from him. And doing this, you will need people who's doing the same and imitate them so that you might know how to do it. Those who are ahead of you, who's walked with Jesus longer. And that's why a lot of today is about imitating. And we'll see three things about those we are to imitate. Okay, the first one is this. There is one example for all of us to imitate. Now, this is barely a point for Paul, but I think it's important. Paul calls everyone to imitate him and others who live like him. Now, he doesn't only call apostles. Did you notice? He doesn't say, I'm an apostle, so only apostles should follow me, or pastors, or elders, or deacons, or other leaders. He doesn't expect, you know, the average Christian, for lack of a better word, to not imitate him, but to imitate someone else. 
No, there are no levels in Christian examples for us to follow. And if you're a leader, you know, you know, like say, so if you're just a Christian, you have to follow Christians. And if you're if you're a new baby Christian, then you follow other new baby Christians. And if you're a leader, then well, you're up here somewhere. It's not like that. No. What we have here is we have an apostle of Jesus Christ who was an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus who speaks on his behalf and everything he says comes with divine authority. You know, so this guy is not anything like us in some sense. And yet he says to everyone, follow me. You know, he tells ordinary Christians and leaders, the whole church, to imitate his example. Uh, and the reason why I think this is quite important is because some people would hear of a life of an elder or a pastor, uh, and, you know, if that person encourages them to live like them, hey, this is what I do, you should try this. People would often say, oh, but, but you're a pastor. I don't have to do what you do. And they seem to think that there are different levels of people that you need to imitate. Um, but that's wrong. There aren't different expectations for pastors and non-pastors and, and other different groups of people within the church. Pastors are simply people who's done what's expected of all Christians and have a God-given gift and an additional responsibility. Uh, other people um, would expect Christians to speak in tongues like they do, you know, and they'll keep pushing and keep pushing. And if it doesn't happen, then they might say, well, haven't you had the second blessing of the Holy Spirit? And if the person says, oh, no, I don't even know what that is, and that's not a thing, by the way, then the person's like, oh, okay, well, then, then you, you can't imitate me, you know, because I'm in a league of my own. I'm the super Christian. But that's rubbish, okay? There's one example for us all to imitate. Have a look there at verse 17 again. Brothers and sisters, join together, all of you, in imitating me, Paul says. Paul says, all of you together should imitate me. And we must remember when Paul says, imitate me, that it's kind of shorthand for imitate me as I imitate Jesus. This is how he puts it in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, when it's put like that, it's really obvious that all of us only have Jesus as our one ultimate example, and we imitate others who are trying to be like him. You know, so the AV guy at the back, or lady, you know, like, uh, they have Jesus as their ultimate example. The music leader up the front have Jesus as their ultimate example. Uh, the kids' ministry coordinator that runs the whole thing have Jesus as their example, and so does the teenage girl that's just a helper there, that's still trying to find her feet, maybe even not sure about Jesus yet, that we all have one example. Now, let's be honest, okay? We won't be all be equally as successful at imitating Jesus, right? But we don't aim for anything less. I, I, imagine a dartboard. I hope this, this illustration sticks. Imagine a dartboard. Okay, you know a dartboard round and right in the middle is the bullseye and then the bull and all these other numbers and triples and doubles and whatnot. Imagine a dartboard. Jesus is the bullseye, okay? He's the, the highest that you can get right in the middle. Um, and Christians, with every single effort, are trying to hit the bullseye. We're always trying to be like Jesus. Now, some will hit the bull just around it. They get pretty close. Others a bit further, and then there are others that completely miss the board, okay? 
but, but what you do, those who miss the board don't now go all of a sudden, oh, well, I'm going to look for someone else that also missed the board and I'm just going to imitate them. Because then you're not going to get anywhere, are you? No, we all are trying to be like Jesus. We're aiming to be like him. And yes, we're going to miss, but that is our aim. And the beauty of the Christian faith is even when we fail, and we will, our standing before God is not dependent on our attempts, uh, but on Jesus' attempt in our place. His righteousness is ours through faith, as, we, as Justin showed us a couple of weeks ago. Now, how about you personally? Are you a good example for others to follow? My, my dad, when I was, when I was a child, um, wasn't a Christian, but he was a churchgoer. So it's when people ask me if I was part of a Christian home, if I grew up as a Christian, it's always a bit weird to explain. Um, anyway, he went to church, except in the holidays. When there was no kids program, then we would stay home. Um, you know, so he went to church, and he always used to say this, uh, don't do as I do, just do as I say, okay? Because he, he wasn't a good example, okay? He would tell me to do things that the Bible taught, but he wouldn't do them himself, okay? And I think that played a huge part in me rejecting Christianity for much of my younger years. I thought that Christians were hypocrites, and I thought that if my dad doesn't think it's worth following Jesus, well, he mustn't be that great. Why would I sacrifice things for him? Now, praise God for showing me, and later my dad as well, that Jesus is worth following. It's wonderful to follow him, and it was awesome to see my dad becoming a Christian as well. But the point is, bad examples of following Jesus damages Jesus' reputation and it damages uh, the church's reputation. It brings disrepute upon the church. So make sure you're an example worth imitating as you pursue Jesus. Because the reality is, you know what? You don't have to go to someone and say, hey, imitate me. Especially with kids. They just watch, right? They don't even ask. They just start imitating. So make sure you're an example worth imitating as you pursue Jesus. So that's the first thing. Uh, There's one example for us all to imitate. The second is this. There are many examples for us not to imitate. Now, as Christians, we know not to follow the examples of those who don't love Jesus, right? You know, as, as we're surrounded by people who are not interested in pleasing God at all, we have to watch ourselves that they don't start shaping us. As we, as we live in and around people who don't acknowledge their creator uh, and, and who are trying to live for created things, we are marinating in a culture that, that hates God, really. And we have to watch out. A culture that opposes God. And we want to keep living with people like that so that we can love them as best as we can. But we have to watch out not to become like them and then end up rejecting our Heavenly Father. Now, these not-yet-Christians that I'm just talking about are not the people that Paul is talking about here. Okay, these are not the people that he's talking about here. The many people Paul warns us about not to imitate are within churches, not outside of churches. Now, how do we know this? 
We're given two reasons. There's a few more that will become clear throughout the passage. But have a look at verse 18 with me. There are two clear reasons there. For many, Paul says, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The first reason is Paul's tears. You know, Paul seems to have raised a concern over some people in other churches who were not at Philippi. Um, he, he seemed to have been worried about these people who, were, who maybe weren't letting the cross of Jesus Christ, the good news, shape their lives as much as he thought it should. And he shared this concern with the Philippians. And now, as he writes to them sometime later, those concerns have become a reality. And he tears up about it. Okay? And it's really interesting because if you go through the New Testament... Every time Paul talks about tears, having tears, it always refers to people who used to be God's people who have now walked away and rejected him. And so we have people here who he was worried about who have ended up walking away from Jesus as he thought they might. And I'm sure he prayed that they wouldn't. These people who walk away from Jesus are in the church before they leave. And so we don't want to imitate their example. So that's the first reason. second reason we know these people were within the church is because of how Paul refers to them. He says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, these people are not simply enemies, okay? Um, There were some people who opposed the Christians at Philippi. I don't know if you remember this. In chapter 1, verse 28, and Paul called them opponents, He calls them opponents. And he could have said of these people that we come across here that they are opponents or enemies. But he doesn't. He calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. This means that these people knew of Jesus. And not just that he was a guy that lived at some point and existed, but that he was the Christ. He was God's chosen king who has come to rescue his people. These people knew that Jesus' death on the cross was no ordinary death, you know, like the thousands of other people who died on crosses who are not famous today. No, his death were different. His death was different. His death was to deal with the rebellious world's sin towards their creator. And God was rightfully angry at people for rejecting him and loving created things rather than the creator. These people knew that on the cross, Jesus satisfied that anger okay, towards humanity by receiving the penalty that we all deserve. These people knew that we could only be brought back into relationship with God through the cross, through the finished work of Jesus as we trust in that. But you know what? Instead of these people befriending the cross of Christ... They rejected it and lived as enemies of it. Their lives weren't shaped by the good news of Jesus' death on the cross. You see, these people were within the church. And they knew the very heart of the Christian message, which is the cross of Christ. But many, Paul says, lived as enemies of that cross. And we shouldn't imitate them. So so how do we spot these people? You know, there are three key things to look out for that we find in verse 19. Have a look there. Have a look at verse 19 with me. 
Sorry if you're not a details person or if you're a young parent who's lacking sleep and is losing me with all these points. But this is what the passage is saying. So I hope you can stick with us. So verse 19. The end, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Did you see the three things? The first thing is their God is their belly. Now what comes out of our bellies? Not, no, not what I cleaned up this morning um, with our little boy. I just thought of that. Um, what comes out of our bellies is cravings for food, right? Desires for treats. Our, our appetite for food comes from our gut. And so what Paul says is that these people are ruled by their cravings, by their desires and their appetites. And the belly is given as one example to point to this, but it's much, much deeper than just relating to food, right? You see, let me give you an example of someone whose God is their belly. You can have someone who desires to do something, okay? And so they're meeting up with someone, doing a one, one-on-one Bible study with someone who's mentoring them, and they raise it with this mentor, hey, I, I, I feel like doing this. I feel like God's leading me to do this. And the person might say, look, as a Christian, I don't think that's very wise. So then they might go and share their desire with their growth group, and, and his growth group might say, man, that doesn't quite sound right to us. Maybe talk to someone else about it as well. So they go and talk to the elders of the church or the leaders, and they say, look, that, that is just down outright ungodly. Please don't do it. We, we plead with you. Don't do something like that. Maybe you could try this or that or the other, and they might even pray with them and, and try and show them from the Bible what to do. And you know what? People who have their God as their, uh, their, their guts as their God will just go ahead and do what they desire, despite what all of Jesus' people encourage them. They might even say, well, it feels like God's telling me to do this, okay? But if it goes against God's word, if it goes against the collective wisdom and understanding of God's people, then it's not God's will. People who go against the God-given leadership of his church especially are letting their guts rule them. Their God is not Jesus, but their own twisted desires, and they shouldn't be imitated. So that's the first one, okay? Second thing to look out for is people who glory in their shame. Now, I think this makes it very clear that these people were within the church again. So they knew what was shameful in God's eyes, what was wrong, what was deceptive, what was destructive to those around them. And when they did these shameful things, like we all do, we all do this, instead of them being broken and ashamed and repentant, they actually took pride in it. It was their glory. They were telling other people, oh man, got so smashed last night, so good. You know, that's how they respond. It's almost impossible to think that there are people like this in the church, but there are. They are few and far between, I must admit, but if I hadn't seen this with my own eyes, I would scarcely believe it. So watch out for for people like this. Watch out how people talk about their sin and their shame. Do they take it lightly and kind of jokingly actually try and puff themselves up of how good a sinner they are? Or are they broken by it and humble before Jesus? Third thing that we need to look out for is those with minds set on earthly things. 
Now, it's important to notice Paul doesn't simply say that these people sometimes think about earthly things, right? He says that their minds are set on earthly things. That means earthly things are their sole focus in life. Their sole focus in life. They live for the present alone. Christians do things, you know, this is, Christians do things that non-Christians just don't get, okay? And that's because of a lot of what we do is not done for this world, but for another world. But people in the church uh, who should not be imitated have their here and now as their sole focus. And they don't, things that, they don't do things that other people think are out of this world because they don't live for a world other than this world. So watch out. That's the third thing. So there you have it. Many examples for us not to imitate. And you can think about what that looks like in someone's life more and more. And I pray that you do. And God give you, gives you wisdom in that so that you don't follow and imitate the wrong people. And did you notice where these people are headed? Paul says their end is destruction. Now, this is not just destruction of the relationships that they're involved in, in and even their very own selves. This is talking, you know, in the here and now, this is talking about eternal destruction. This is the opposite of eternal life. And I'm sure you don't want that. I certainly don't want that for myself or anyone for that matter. So, we, so who we imitate is very important. And so a good question to ask is, who are you imitating? Are you simply just kind of doing whatever the the people around you in church are doing uh, and you're not giving it much thought and this guy says something weird at growth group but hey, whatever, he's in the church so he must be be worth following and I'll just do that as well. But do you actually give it some thought? Not all people at church should be imitated. Even in a great church, right? Because think about it, there'll be people in our church and I think there are who are who just investigating Jesus. They're not Christians yet. And it's awesome that they're here. They've got no idea how to live for Jesus yet. You know, so if you just pick anyone that's here and follow their example, um, you, you could be making a mistake. Then you could have other people who are baby Christians. Man, and they're still wrestling with, you know, how their old life and their new life work together. And what does it look like to live for Jesus? And there's lots of old habits and things that, that are not great but they're fighting with it, and that's fine, that's good, and it's okay. Instead of imitating them, point them to someone uh, that they can imitate. But then there are these people that Paul warns us about. Maybe they claim to be mature. Maybe they say, man, I've been in church for decades. I started this thing. I used to be on that committee. I, you know, maybe they're like that. Maybe they've got this super Christian relationship, this connection with God that no one else seems to have. They don't even need the Bible for God to talk to them. They don't listen to mentors mentors and leaders. Watch out for them. You see, the reality is you have to proactively choose people to imitate. Okay, Otherwise, you'll just naturally copy the people around you. You see that with kids. Again, kids are such good examples. Anyway, and we often think we're better than them. We're more mature, but there's a reason we are called children of God. So watch out who you copy. Think proactively about who you should imitate. Okay, so there are many examples for us not to imitate. Third one and final one. So who should we imitate, Danny? Man, you're telling us who we shouldn't imitate. Who should we imitate? Well, imitate those whose citizenship is in heaven. Have a look at verse 20 with me. 
There's a big but. So Paul is contrasting himself and others with these other people. He's saying, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, I hope you see that there is a stark contrast to those in point three and those in point uh, two. The language of the themes all make it very clear. And, and the first contrast you've probably picked up already on is heaven and earth, right? So those to imitate as citizens of heaven, opposed to those who set their minds on earthly things. Yes, we are citizens here on earth. We're citizens of Australia. Man, I'm so glad I am. And I'm proud of it. But we have set our minds on our eternal home. People who are citizens of heaven will do things in this world that are out of place, out of this world, because we're living for another world. People who are like this, who you should imitate, they'll serve the church of Jesus Christ. And you know what? They won't send an invoice. They wouldn't even ask for money. Ah, That seems a bit weird. Why would you work and not want to get paid? They will give money to a building fund so that more people can be reached for Jesus instead of buying yet another investment property. Citizens of heaven will pray often. Man, and to outsiders it'll seem weird. It's like, hey, if you want to get stuff done, why do you just sit there? Come on, man, get active. You know, so it seems out of place. Seems weird to the world as they simply sit there and do nothing, at least from their perspective. Citizens of heaven don't just live for this world that will be destroyed one day, but for the new heavens and the new earth that will last forever. The second contrast is who these people are waiting for. In verse 20 we see that they wait for a savior from heaven. This is because these people are not enemies of the cross, of Christ, but friends of the cross. The Jesus who died and rose again and ascended to heaven is the Jesus who will come back one day to complete his saving work. And those who have trusted in Jesus will be fully and finally saved. They're waiting for a savior. They are people who don't hate the cross, but they love it. And what does that look like? Well, they're honest about their failings because they know it doesn't really matter their failings. Jesus has dealt with it on the cross. They're not trying to hide things, be deceptive about who they are and what they do. They're honest. They're quick to forgive others because they have been forgiven and they know how bad they have been. They don't judge people and think more highly of them selves because they know that they themselves don't deserve to be citizens of heaven. It was a gracious gift of God. You see how it happens, how the cross of Christ shapes people? The Savior of the cross shaped these people and you want to imitate them, people like this. Thirdly, are you keeping notes? Thirdly, (laughs) the Lord Jesus Christ stands opposed to those whose gut is their God. Okay, For these Christians, Jesus is their Lord and their God. He calls the shots. He's the captain of their ship. He even rules over their feelings. Even their feelings come under His Lordship. 
They submit all of themselves to his lordship because he has proven how good and how gracious and how loving and wise he is. I mean, think about it. We saw this in chapter 2, isn't it? How Jesus is this all-powerful God. And when he came to earth, he was just killing people left, right, and center and using his power for himself. No, he wasn't. He humbled himself as a servant and used all of his power to save sinful men and women forever. He used all of his power to, to, to deal with our debt, to give us a share in his inheritance and to make us part of God's family. Why would he now all of a sudden abuse that power? He won't. This Lord Jesus is way better than any of the feelings, the cravings or the desires coming from our gut. And people who are worth imitating know that and they submit to him. Lastly, people to imitate have lowly bodies as it's put there in verse 21. Now that word lowly um, is the word humble or humiliation which is a bit hard to put with the body, eh? my humiliated body or my humble body. And it's the same word used to describe what Jesus did in chapter 2, which I actually just referred to. Um, uh, where are we now? This is not my slide. Oh, maybe it's just the wrong one. Oh, I never put it in. Anyway, here we go. I thought I was perfect with the slide stuff. Um, let me read this for you from uh, chapter 2. I never copied and pasted it. Listen to what it says in chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, people who have lowly bodies are people who have experienced the shame of their sin and seen it the way that God sees it. They have humbled themselves at the foot of the cross. And, they, and they've received forgiveness, and they've received mercy, and they've received restoration. They are just downright humble, and it shows in their service of others. For them, this is how you can tell it, for them the world doesn't evolve around them. But Jesus is at the center of their universe. So they think of others and not just about themselves all the time. And they won't always live in this state of humility. Did you notice this? But when Jesus returns, they will be given these glorious bodies. And do you see the contrast and the irony again? So those who glory in the things that they should be ashamed of will one day be ashamed and they will be destroyed. But those who humble themselves under the lordship of Jesus will not be destroyed, but they will be transformed and receive glorious bodies that will last forever and will experience life like we have never received, uh, experienced it before. It's going to be so good. And I'm guessing you want to imitate these kinds of people like I want to. And I want to end up there. It sounds way better than eternal destruction. Now let me finish like this. I've got three questions. Wow, that's like point 20 now. Anyway, on your notes, write conclusion. Question one. Maybe this is just for you if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus yet. You don't, you don't really love him. And my question is, who are you waiting for? Or what are you waiting for? You're just waiting to be thrown in the dirt one day and, you know, worms and stuff to eat you up? Or are you waiting for a savior from heaven? 
Are you walking as an enemy of the cross of Christ? You know, Jesus has the power to subject all things to himself, and he will do it one day. Every knee will bow, whether they want to or not. Why not rather bow the knee now in humility rather than being ashamed later for the things you think of so highly now? If you want to talk more about that or ask me questions, come and chat to me afterwards. I'll probably be out with my kids trying to get them not to damage everything. Second question under the conclusion. The way you're living now, if you're here as a Christian, the way you're living now, will you stand firm like Paul is urging the Philippians to stand firm? Will you stand firm till the end? Or are there some changes that you need to make? Are you seeking the righteousness of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and you're imitating others who are doing the same? This is how people stand firm in the Lord. Is this what you are doing? Or have you got your mind set on other things? Third and final question, especially because this is about imitating. Are you an example to imitate for others? Can you with confidence say to someone, follow me as I follow Jesus? You know... if your children or your family or your friends, your neighbors, your, your teammates, your work colleagues, if they followed you, where will it end up? It, 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 will there end be destruction or glorious transformation? I think if you can't say with confidence, follow me as I follow Jesus, even though I won't be doing it perfectly, then you've got to wonder, well, what are you doing? Who are you following? Has the gospel, the the cross of Jesus Christ, really shaped your life? That's a big question. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your awesome example. But Lord, wow, uh, you are not just the one example that we all have to follow. Your life, thanks be to God, is so much more than an example. It's a life that we were meant to live. You died the death that we were meant to die. And you offer us your righteousness and, and, and your resurrection in the future to eternal life for free. And we just have to trust you. Thank you for being so good. Thank you that you used all of your power to restore us to our God and our Creator, our Heavenly Father who loves us so dearly. You are so good, Jesus. May we continue to love you and live for you. And as we do that, Lord, uh, would you give us people that we can imitate who are doing the same and give us wisdom to see those uh, maybe who are wolves in sheep clothing, uh, maybe people who have never become Christians but just were raised in the church and they don't really know what they're doing. Maybe they don't really love you. They're just going through the motions, ticking boxes. May we notice them and not just stay away from them as an examples, but try and share the good news of Jesus with them. Try and encourage them and prod them and nudge them forward to get into a relationship with you. But Lord, yeah, help us to imitate those who are citizens of heaven, who live lives that that doesn't make sense, lives and things that are out of this world because we're living for another world. Please, Lord, this seems so practical and so simple. Help us to do it and do it rightly that we might stand firm until the end. 
Please, may our culture and every wind of doctrine not toss us back and forth and blow us away, but may we stand firm, putting on the armor of God and following those who are in the fight with us, that we might indeed stand firm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.